Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. In this series, we've covered a lot of ground, and I don't know about you, but it's challenged me a lot. We've talked about all kinds of things, but the core of it was this, God made us for life together. He made us for life together. I hope the Lord has been teaching you things and speaking to you as we've honed in on these things, fruit that lasts. I want us to read one more time as we get going here from John chapter 15. There's nothing wrong with reading in the same passage, spending time in the same passage and meditating on it again and again, especially when it's as transformational as John 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. Let's read verses one through five today, and we'll get started. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that this invitation comes with so much promise for us. That your desire for us is that we deeply connect to you. That we make you everything to us. That we seek you with all of our hearts. And you promise we'll find you will find life, and life more abundantly. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would deposit something again in each of our hearts this morning from your word, that you challenge us again, and that you lead us into your best ways for us to walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to circle back this morning to something that we kind of got into right at the beginning of this series as we opened the word. We talked about what Jesus means, what the Bible means by fruit. What does that mean biblically? We talked about we have fruit in our lives, change that happens and transformation on the inside, and then we have fruit through our lives, the product of our lives. Throughout most of this series, we've spent most of our time on what's happening on the inside and how that change takes place in us. But as I was reflecting on the legacy of a dear friend this week, I couldn't help but think about that other kind of fruit. The fruit that comes through our lives, that touches others, the product of our lives. Now I want to take a few moments this morning and just examine this together. What's coming out of our lives? What fruit are we bearing? Because here's the reality. As Jesus speaks over his disciples and over you and me, as branches of the vine, Here's the reality. Branches are meant to bear fruit, right? Vines are propagated, planted, and woven together for a purpose, to bear fruit. I remember being on our honeymoon. Lara and I visited a place with some of the most ancient vineyards on planet Earth. And it was a, a very dry, volcanic island. And it had high winds that would sweep across the island. that would constantly threaten these vines. So instead of the typical rows of vines like we're used to seeing in vineyards, what they would do is they would weave them into low baskets. Basket-shaped vines. You see these little circular vines all over the island. 
that would protect them from the wind and make them even more fruitful. Because the vines are meant to bear fruit. Jesus says in this passage, he says, God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one who cares for the vine, who takes an interest in the fruitfulness of every branch, including you and I. As branches, we were made to produce fruit. We were made to bear fruit. We replicate the word and the ways of God in others. That's what we call making disciples, right? And we produce good fruit in the works of our lives. You know, as we got started and we were looking more at fruit in us, we talked from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, those inward changes, those attitudes and things that start flowing in our lives when we surrender to Jesus. And I got to thinking about it. So much of the fruit of the Spirit doesn't exist in our lives without others, though. Yes, it's the work of His Spirit in us alone. But how many of you guys know that faithfulness and kindness don't exist without someone to be faithful to or kind to? Those aren't in a vacuum. I can't be faithful by myself. It's about life together in the vine. And we talked last week a little bit about uh, the culture's impact on church culture in our time and how we sometimes think about our faith as an individualized faith. We use language like my personal relationship with Jesus. But the reality is we are always being invited to be part of the vine together. When Jesus spoke to them and said, I'm the vine and you are the branches, he didn't pull Peter aside and he was like, look, bro, I'm the vine, you're a branch. And go over and grab John and be like, hey, man, let me tell you something. You're a branch. Do your thing. He spoke it over them together as a group, as a whole, as a brand new people that he was shaping, that he called to himself, that he wants to bring his fruit from. So remaining connected to him it will bring transformation in our lives, in each of us individually, and it will always lead to fruit through our lives together. There's this odd moment in Scripture that Matthew and Mark capture for us, right at the end of Jesus' earthly time with us, where it just seemed like Jesus is having a bad day. I kind of like to refer to this as the day that Jesus got hangry. Some of you guys already know what I'm talking about. He's on his way to the temple, and he sees a fig tree from a distance. And he's like, oh, that, that thing is full of leaves. I am hungry. Literally says he's hungry. So he goes over to inspect the fig tree and he finds no fruit whatsoever. And that upsets him. So he says to the fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. He curses the fig tree. It's kind of strange. And then he goes into the temple courts and he sees other things that are upsetting him really deeply. So he starts flipping over tables. He makes a whip out of cords, starts whipping it at people, driving out the money changers and things like that. Later, they leave again and they go past that fig tree and the disciples remark that it had totally withered from the ground up. It's a strange story. But it's not just Jesus getting hangry. Jesus isn't just having a bad day. The fig tree, it's like an acted out parable of what's going on in the temple in the religious culture of Jesus' day. Everything looked the part. It was beautiful. It had the right life on the inside. You could say it was in full bloom of leaves. But there was no fruit. The fruit of compassion and love that's shared with one another was, was missing. The reality is Jesus expected fruitfulness in both the temple and that tree. As the God who created that tree and instituted the temple and its worship, he had every right to demand better, to demand fruit. 
Just like with every branch of the vine, every one of our lives, the tree and the temple were made to bear good fruit, but had kind of become more consumers of the life of God, not producers. Maybe you've heard the old saying, you, can't ju- or you can judge a tree by its fruit. That comes from Jesus himself. He taught us that the outer appearance and the words are not proof of what's happening on the inside, but that every good tree will bear fruit. Good fruit, fruit that lasts. This is a big part of what the Bible refers to as our works. As our works. And I have to recognize that when we say the word works in church, a lot of people's theological alarm bells start ringing, right? Oh no, we're going to talk about works because we, we are entering in when we talk about works to one of the oldest debates in our faith, the debate of faith and works. We're going to see here that it's not really a debate at all. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul gives us this incredible thing that we can build on, our lives on. It says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God alone. Not by works so that no one can boast. This is one of the core tenets of our faith, right? We are saved by grace alone. Our works cannot save us. We cannot earn our own salvation, saved by grace alone. And how many of you guys have turned the, the page to the book of James and read something that seems a little contradictory on the surface? James has a whole section in his letter of the New Testament that suggests this. He says, faith without works is dead. If you say, I've got faith, and you see a brother in need and go, oh, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. Be blessed, man. All right, praying for you. Love you. He's like, what good is that? Faith without works is dead, James puts it. How many of you guys love the bluntness of James? Right? He was a little too blunt. Some of the fathers of our faith were like, are we sure we should put that in the Bible? It's a little crazy. Both James and Paul use the same word for our works of our lives. The word in Greek is ergon, which means our actions, our deeds, our works. Tangible things that we produce in our lives. Oftentimes, James 2.24 in particular is taken out of context and definitely appears to negate Paul. He says this, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. How many of you guys know that sounds a little bit contradictory to Paul saying to us, you're made righteous by your faith alone? Seems to contradict. Various streams of the church throughout church history have argued over this till they were blue in the face and split 47 times and all of that, like we like to do as human beings. Works focus or grace focus? I think there's a fallacy we've slipped into here. Thinking these passages are at odds with one another. We need to take the whole context and be careful not to snatch verses out of context today. Paul and James are not disagreeing with one another. The reality is they're writing to two very different groups of people who needed to hear this balance. One group was striving to do, do, do all the right things, but not learning to sit first in the reality of God's grace and what he has done for us. They were all about doing, but not sitting in what Christ has done. Paul encourages them to rest fully in the reality of what Christ has done. Let that dominate their lives, their thinking, and then let it move them towards what he's already prepared for them to do. The other group 
seem to be just standing around doing nothing for anyone. Even ignoring people in need, just kind of waiting for Jesus to show up. James prods at them pretty hard in this passage. He says, don't just be hearers of the word, be what? Doers of the word. He says, don't be consumers. Just eating all day. Exercise your faith. Put it in practice. Put it into action. One commentary sums it up like this. James and Paul are not contradicting, they're complementing one another. True faith, true relationship with Jesus always results in good deeds. But the deeds do not justify us. Faith brings us salvation. Active obedience demonstrates that our faith is genuine. You know, Paul even carries on the very next verse in Ephesians, after saying it is by grace alone that we're saved, he says this in Ephesians 2.10. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We may not be saved by our works, but we are made for works. We may be saved by grace alone, but the one who saved us, the one who called us and who is weaving us together into the vine, has every right to expect some fruit from us in our lives. Jesus also used that same word, ergon, for works. He said this, let your light shine together before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. More important question isn't about which one saves us. The more important question is this, what's behind the works? What's the motivation for what we do we were talking this morning, I was talking with Mark. You know, we live in a culture that's all about what we call virtue signaling, right? We're going to do what's right so we can be like, oh, I'm feeding this homeless person. Click. Let me put that on my Instagram. What's behind? What's our motivation? We're trying to feel good about ourselves? Are we attempting to earn our salvation? Is it kind of a striving of any kind in us? Jesus does not want you to get caught up in striving. He promises you to thrive instead. Or is it being caught up in the love of God, wanting to be with him in everything he's doing in our world, participating with him in the healing, restorative, supernatural work that he's always doing? Is that what we're looking for? See, the deeper our experience of God's grace, the more we abide in him, and grow in his love, the more of his life in us that we experience, the more our lives will bear fruit. The more his fruit shows up both in us and through us for others. Life with God results in good for us and through us in good for others. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and my command is this, love one another. Have compassion on one another. Be there for one another. Be truly committed to one another. But part of what James is warning us about, I think is very appropriate for us to hear in our culture today. This concept of our faith as sort of a, an intellectual thing, an agreement that we make with God that leaves us virtually unchanged in the way we live our lives. How many of you guys know that's completely out of line with what we see in scripture? I prayed a prayer. And I'm doing everything that I did before I prayed that prayer. But I prayed the prayer. That's not found in the Word of God. It doesn't exist. That is found in modern culture, though, isn't it? That's our way of doing things. I checked the right box. 
I agree in principle, even if I don't agree in practice. An intellectualized, individualized faith is all about me at the end of the day. It's about what I think, what I believe, how I see things going in our world, how I become better. But God wants us to experience something better. He wants us to know him so fully and get immersed in his life together as his people that we're transformed. That our words and deeds and actions and habits of our minds change. Literally, the word in Greek is metamorphose. It's we're changed like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. He wants to move us from an intellectual and individual faith toward a together transformative faith. Where it's all about we, not about me. It's about what we believe together. It's about what was passed down from him to us. It's about how we live together under his direction. How we pray for and act for his desires on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, Paul had done the intellectual, individualized faith thing, hadn't he? He had done the religious thing. He built up his hotshot resume. He was a rising star in the religious order that Jesus had a problem with. He had all the knowledge, and what did he say about it? Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all those things. I lost it all, and I don't miss it. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In his book, With, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal book by Sky Jathani, he talks about this revelation from Paul, and he says this, although God's mission dominated his life, it didn't define it. A more careful reading of Paul's letters reveals something remarkable. Everything in the apostle's life, everything in the apostle's life, including God's mission given to him, took a back seat to his paramount goal, God himself. See, he wasn't doing all these things to earn anything from God. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to be doing the things that he saw Jesus up to. He said, I want to be with you in the moments where you're touching people's lives. I want to be part of that. I want to be so deeply connected to you, and I want it to flow through me. Everything in his life took a backseat to the paramount goal, God himself. For our lives and our life together as a church, God's mission and the works that we are called to do of building up God's people and touching lives together, they're always going to be there in our life, just like they were always there in Paul's life. But those things are second to intimacy with God himself for every one of us. Intimacy with God himself. So you know, maybe you're here today and you were taught that following Jesus is about saying the right prayer, holding on to the correct set of values, being able to recite things alone. Or maybe you were on the opposite side and you were taught that following Jesus is about doing all the right things alone. I gotta tell you today, Jesus is knocking inviting you to the full picture again. He wants to offer you something different than either of those two extremes. He invites us, as we've been talking about for over a month now, to stick with him, to attach to him, to abide in him. Not going our own way, but doing it his way. And he promises us 
more than a checklist of things to do or a textbook full of knowledge, he promises us himself. Himself. From that intimate life with him, he promises fruit that lasts will spring up in us. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen because you're walking with him. My kids love strawberries, particularly right now they love strawberries. For some reason in the winter months, they love strawberries more. And I've got to say, I'm so happy that like, strawberry season has kicked off in Florida, I think it is. Um, because there's one thing I can't stand. Because when I go to the store, I take my time, and I look at all the cartons of strawberries, and I try and find, you know, the best one. People are, like, waiting, and I'm like, wait your turn. No, there's a, whatever. And then you get it home, and you're going to wash the strawberries off, and you grab one, your finger goes, like, straight through. You're like, ah, what is this white stuff on here? That white, fuzzy, nasty mold. Oh, my gosh, is there anything worse than that? Sitting at the sink, like, it's, it's terrible to me. I hate it. We've talked before about the fact I have a problem with some funky fruit. It's like my aversion. Like, Laura, you got to wash these things for me. I can't do like No. But here's the thing about fruit. It doesn't last, does it? By nature, fruit goes off. It goes bad. What Jesus is promising to us when he says, remain in me and you will bear fruit. And then he says, you'll bear much fruit. And then he says, you'll bear fruit that lasts. He's promising us something that doesn't happen. Something impossible. It's not natural or possible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? Fruit that lasts, that never goes off, that never gets moldy, that never withers in our lives is possible just like a bush can catch fire and not burn up. With God, all things are possible. Throughout Scripture, we see this promise. Fruit in every season. Fruit regardless of our circumstance. Resilient fruit that lasts to eternity for those who remain in him. Psalm 1 says we become like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in every season. Jeremiah adds to this and he says, even in the drought, we will never fail to bear fruit. What a promise. Jesus himself talks about what happens when we receive his word and we abide in him? He says you'll produce a supernatural harvest 30, 60, 100 times what's sown into your life. Supernatural fruit is promised everywhere in scripture to you and me when we remain in him. We're promised the supernatural because the source of life for us is supernatural. It's himself. We are connected to him. And life that flows from him into us never fails to produce flourishing in us and fruitfulness. Amen? John in his gospel, if you walk through the gospel of John, you're going to see promise after promise come from the lips of Jesus that he wants to actually nourish us directly and bring about this kind of fruit in our lives. In John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the, I'm the thing you hunger for. I'm the food that endures to eternity. Don't, don't work for food that spoils. Remain in me. In John chapter 7, he promises that streams of living water will flow, will well up within us and flow out of us when we come to him. In John chapter 10, he promises life more abundantly. And here in John 15, he promises to be the vine himself from which we draw every nutrient that we need in our lives to bear good fruit. Jesus wants you to experience life to the full. And it's not the natural life 
but supernatural. It's resurrection life, only available by his presence with us, by his spirit in us. You know, this passage we've been exploring, John chapter 15, it comes in the, in the midst of a series of conversations Jesus is having with his disciples in that last week before going to the cross. This is also where he gives the longest teaching on his spirit coming to take up residence in our hearts and in our lives. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit because remain in me didn't mean, hey guys, we're going to grow old together. Shortly thereafter, he would show them what he meant by greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for their friends. But he was promising them that by his spirit, he would be with them always. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us, who equips us, who instructs us, who flows through us. And as we press into him, that's where fruit at last comes from. In us and through us. Just like Paul said in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit, and then we will bear good fruit. True joy and lasting peace are found when we live life in him. We lean on him as our source together. Amen? Amen. In a moment, we're going to close in worship and prayer. But I want to just give us a couple things to chew on and take away today. I just want to invite us to take stock of our fruit today. You know, both fruit in and through our lives. What is showing up in our hearts? What's coming out in our words, in our deeds, in the attitudes that we see inside of us? You know, it needs to be a, a regular habit for us as believers. And it's also why we need each other. Because sometimes I can't see that in me. But if I'm in true life with people, they'll let me know, right? We need that. Let's take stock of our fruit. There's an old saying in the business world that says this, your system is perfectly designed to give you the result which you're getting. Maybe you've heard that before. Your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're seeing. What that means is, is maybe if we want to see different kind of fruit in our lives, maybe some things need to change. Maybe some inputs to our lives need to change. Maybe some of those habits and rhythms need to change. If we're past January where we make a bunch of changes. Maybe it's a, a longer term change that we need to pursue. Again, I'm not saying this so we can go off and try and do, do, do more, more, more for God. But we need to make changes that draw us into life with God. We need to make changes that will produce fruit that lasts. It doesn't just come by doing more stuff. It comes by abiding in him. It takes intentionality to abide with God in our world, doesn't it? Yes. It takes effort from us to make space and make room for him. So I want to call us again just to say, more than ever before, let's seek the face of God. Let's seek his presence. We talked about it all through this series. Information and content don't produce transformation, although we think it does. What makes transformation in us is presence. The presence of God and presence with one another. One surefire way to get involved in the presence of God is simply this. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm right there with them. If I'm saying I'm seeking God, but I'm never around the people of God, what am I doing? If you want to go deeper in the presence of God, be together with people who are deep in the presence of God. It's as simple as that. And keep pressing on toward each other, fellow believers. Keep pressing to do life together in his name. 
And it's really important, that bit that he put there. They're gathered together in my name. How many of you guys know we can gather together and not have Jesus at the center of things? We can gather together in the same way that all kinds of people gather together in our world. There's something about keeping Jesus at the center of our friendships, Jesus at the center of our marriages, Jesus at the center of everything we do in our lives. Being vulnerable with one another and real with one another. Where two or three are gathered, I'm right there in your midst, he said. So finally, I just want to say this. Open your heart to the Spirit of God. Open your heart to what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. Paul said, keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some ethereal life force floating around that we can kind of try and catch in a whatever. He's a person. He can be grieved. He can be quenched, Scripture tells us. So we listen. We get into God's presence and we say, what are you saying here? What are you wanting to impart to me? When we feel those nudges from the Spirit that says, go over there and talk to that person, obey. Follow through. Take risks. Like I'm going to tell you today, if you want to walk in the Spirit, it's going to be a risky thing in your life. It's going to cause you sometimes to do things that are not normal in your life. That's a good thing. Because supernatural fruit doesn't happen by doing all the same things we used to do. Stay in step with the Spirit and follow Him. And you will experience that flourishing life Jesus wants for you. I want us to pray together. I'm going to pray over us in just a second. But I am going to invite us again as the band comes and begins to play softly to just find somebody next to you. This is going to be a regular thing for us as a church community going forward, okay? We need to be in the habit of praying with one another. If God's been speaking to you about something in your life, maybe the fruit of your life, maybe he's been laying on your heart, you know, I've been seeing a lot of frustration pop up in me. I've been seeing some anger well up in me. I've, I've had some attitudes in my heart that I've been wrestling with. We need to share that with each other and pray over each other that we might be healed and cleansed from those things. So we're going to keep going on this. Maybe your prayer request is as simple as saying, I just want to find ways to draw near to God again. I want to find a new way to get into his presence more. Maybe you're praying for revelation about something going on in your life. Let's cover these things in prayer together. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to pray over you today. And then the band's just going to play for maybe a minute or two before leading us back into worship and closing our service. And again, I just invite you to find somebody you can join hands with or lay a hand on and pray over. Have them pray over you because where two or three of us are gathered in his name and in his ways, he's right there in the midst. Father God, thank you for your presence here this morning. And thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are still the same God, faithful and true, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness to every generation. You have been so good to us and you continue to be good to us. And we just say thank you today. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us back to your heart. Draw us forever into your presence more and more. Help us to develop in friendships and life together with you at the center, Jesus. And Lord, reveal things in our hearts. Reveal the fruit of our lives. Help us to genuinely take stock of what's been coming out of me. And God, we give you permission to make any change necessary to bring your flourishing life and deposit deep within us. God, we're thankful that you've called us together as your family, 
and that you say to us today again, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear fruit. Thank you, Lord, that you cleanse us by your word. Thank you, Lord, that you're here even now. So Holy Spirit, in these moments, we just surrender to you. We pray for fresh revelation. We pray for you to deposit things in people's hearts. We pray, Lord, for words of wisdom and knowledge to flow in this place that people would go for saying something crazy happened at church today. I prayed with someone and they spoke directly into my situation. I don't know how that happened, but God deposited something in me today. God, I pray that you would flow in this place and we will give you all the glory because you are worthy of all the praise of our lives. And you're so good to us. So we say thank you this morning and we pray that you would move in us now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.